Welcome once again to PT Neal Physical Therapy Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Mark David Pasco, Doctor of Physical Therapy, about a published case report he authored entitled Use of High Intensity Resistance Exercise Program to Improve Lower Extremity Strength and Mobility in a 105-Year-Old Woman. He discussed how he came up with the idea and how he convinced his patient to participate in the research. He explained exercise prescription and considerations in starting a high-intensity resistance exercise program with the older population. And lastly, he shared why he should uh, or why we should look into other ways to challenge our older adult patients. Come, take a listen. All right, you're back to another episode of PT Mill Physical Therapy Podcast, your weekly serving of insights, information, and inspiration from the experience and expertise of Filipino physical therapists. I am Johan De La Paz, your host. Let's go on with the show. So today's topic is um, high-intensity resistance training for older adults. And to help us with that discussion is the Director of Physical Therapy from Monster uh, Memorial Hospital in Texas. Uh, Dr. Mark David Basco, Doctor of Physical Therapy. Mark is a board-certified clinical specialist in geriatric physical therapy and an advanced certified exercise expert on aging adults. He has published an interesting piece in the Journal of Frailty and Aging entitled, entitled Use of a High-Intensity Resistance Exercise Program to Improve Lower Extremity and Mobility in a 105-Year Older Woman. Uh, a case report. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me, Johan. Right, this is an interesting um, topic. So, when I s- saw your um, publication, I was like, this is very apt because nowadays we're trying to encourage more activity with our older adults. There's a lot of researchers coming out that we need to challenge our older adults more. So, before we dive into to, to the discussion, could you give us a little background on how you started as a physical uh, ther- therapist and what led you to your current role now? Okay. Um, I, I think I would describe my journey in physical therapy as like, uh, while walking the forest trail, you go through different paths and see a view. Sometimes the path is riddled with uh, logs or big rocks that you, okay, this is not for me, I'll turn around. So to start with, uh, I graduated from uh, the University of the Philippines, Manila, 2009, uh, with a BS Physical Therapy degree. I went to f- PT school as a, originally as a pre-med. I mm-hmm. wanted to be a neurosurgeon. Together with my classmates back at USC High School, there was a group of us who wanted to be doctors, and we chose p- physical therapy as a pre-med degree. So uh, I think I went to UP and they went to USC, but we kept close contact all throughout PT school. Mm-hmm. After graduation from PT school, I received an invitation from the faculty of UPCAM to uh, teach, to be part of the faculty. So that was my first job, as well, uh, is to be a junior faculty member. Mm-hmm. I stayed at uh, camp for one year as a faculty because I had to pursue um, uh, my master's degree in molecular medicine back then. It was the, the first time they offered it in um, St. Luke's College of Medicine in mm-hmm. Quezon City. I was wow. the only physical therapist there. So my, my reasoning for that is I wanted to explore back then there was regenerative medicine and genetics and um, the advances we have now in molecular engineering was still in its um, infancy. So I thought maybe us physical therapists can go in there and understand the concept so that we can apply it in, for example, SEI rehabilitation, and which is 10 years from when I first started, we're now seeing articles in PT, um, in Motion, in, in the PD Journal about how physical therapists are doing that in SEI rehab. So right. I digress. So I stayed <laughs> in that. Uh, I stayed in MS uh, in that program for, for, for a year because I decided to immigrate to the United States. Okay. Um, unfortunately, I didn't finish that, but it offered me a different perspective in terms of the other side and the cutting edge of science. So that, that's my analogy for walking the forest trail. You see a short trail, you go there, and you see a fantastic view. Mm-hmm. And then you see you see a different perspective, and you go back to the main trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, while in the Philippines, um, I, le- I immigrated to the United States in 2012. So from 2009 to 2012, I was actually a pediatric physical therapist. Mm-hmm. I uh, practiced in a private, private clinic in BGC. 
Mm-hmm. So it was um, treating patients with cerebral palsy um, and Down syndrome. That, that and my experience in um, the QP campus of faculty provided me with the foundations I needed to, as, to further my career in the United States. Because um, as a pediatric PT, I learned to be creative in my treatments. So, of course, when you treat a child, you know, if you have a set plan, that plan goes haywire when the child doesn't want to cooperate and you have to come up with a plan right then and there. Right. And you have to use all the toys in your disposal to make it creative and challenging for, for the child. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with older adults. So you have a plan of care and then it doesn't work or you want to challenge um, an individual with a balance issue. So you, you look around you. Mm-hmm. And in home health setting, that's, that's more apt as well because you, you have limited resources. Right. Um, so that, that helped me in that regard. So uh, when I immigrated to the United States, I signed up for a contract company and they sent me to Munster, Texas, a rural town north of Dallas in the middle of nowhere. I thought, where the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> and then I started doing um, some acute care, acute care, home health and outpatient therapy. Um, in 2014, I got my postgraduate certificate in advanced geriatric physical therapy from Texas Women's University as I was doing my uh, DPT. Mm -hmm. I got my DPT in 2015. And that was, again, in preparation for my GCS exam, for the GCS exam. I already had a vision back then to emulate what uh, Professor Dudan Lazaro, Mm -hmm. which is the co-lead author of the Umfred's Your Rehab. I read it when I was in camp and in PT school. I thought, I want to be like him. <laughs> so I decided to, uh, I, I set myself a goal that when I, went, go, when I go to the United States, I'll take a, I'll, I'll do my postgraduate degree and I'll do advanced clinical um, certification. Mm-hmm. So I got, uh, I passed the board, board exam for the GCS. And in the process also, I took the CWEAA uh, credentialing program by the AGPT. So that is, again, in pursuit of being better, just being mm-hmm. better with my patients and demonstrating to them that I can be at par with their homegrown physical therapist. So being as an immigrant, of course, you have this feeling of you're starting from scratch right. and you're competing with DPT graduates that are already here. Um, and there's a perception, again, whether it's there or not, that as an immigrant, you have to do more. You have to be above the standard at which everyone is in to distinguish mm-hmm. yourself and to prove to everybody that you're worthy of their trust and of the system's trust in you. Mm-hmm. Um, after graduating from DPT school, I decided, okay, let, let's try a PhD degree. <laughs> but then uh, that again is uh, like another trail, a short trail. Mm-hmm. I went along the trail and learned some, learned a lot. But then I, I discovered the trail is full of logs and big rocks. I decided, okay, I'll just turn around and go back to the main trail and enjoy what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, then I... Did, I pursued additional certifications. I completed advanced um, CAAEAA course to further, again, my clinical decision-making because I was feeling that I'm getting rusty. <laughs> I was getting rusty in my decision-making skills. I was relying too much on my on what I learned in the other courses, and I felt that it was a disservice for my patients. I think I have this drive of being better. I want to be better, not only, again, not only for myself, but for my patients. Mm-hmm. And because I am already at the position we're in, I'm the lead physical therapist of my facility. I need to set up an example for my physical therapists. Plus other providers in the hospital, the medical staff, the nursing staff, um, the, radiolo- the radiologist staff, as well as the other providers around town are asking me for advice and they look up to me for questions mm-hmm. with regards to rehabilitation of older adults. So I need to be proficient enough mm-hmm. for that role. All right. Nice. And um, I like your analogy of 
going to like winding road and, and seeing a short path and going back to where your uh re your real path is trying out things that doesn't work you can go back to where you came from your main focus and and just excel in it and also like your your um desire to be better your, your pursuit for advancement it's really it's good and you're talking about um the the pressure of you know like uh being better be, because just because we're new here or we're yes. immigrants and plus being in a position where people really rely on you i do understand that because i'm in my hospital i'm the only physical therapist there so everyone's um asking me about everything about patients so i i understand the drive to be better <laughs> yes <laughs> and the responsibility to provide them the best care or quality of uh, care that uh that you can provide so i it, it's it's a good pressure <laughs> uh for advancement so you're you're um an ultra marathoner uh right you're you're yes. ultra trail runner as well right yes i think I, i've heard of a podcast if you were training for an ultra uh trail run so why geriatrics what what caught your interest there being an active i would think that you would go to like sports um rehab or, or orthopedic rehab mm. um that i think there's a for me i that started when i was in when i was a child mm -hmm. i was very close to my grandmother Mm -hmm. We usually go in vacations um, every summer. I was very close to her. She would just take me because she knew I wanted to see nature. I wanted to be in the provinces. And she suffered from dementia. She suffered from Alzheimer's. So that impacted me a lot because I was not in a position yet to help her back then. I was just in high school. I, I wanted to be in a medical field to help her. But then she passed away, unfortunately. And um, I had actually a dream of her. A few days after she passed away, I had a dream that we were talking. And uh, she looked at me and she, she told me that she was happy for me. And, but then she actually hoped that she would, have, um, she would have been there so that I could have taken good care of her. I think that's where the passion for my older adult patient lies in. Mm -hmm. I, I want to take care of them just like I would have taken care of my grandma. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, my parents are away. Mm -hmm. um, they're already getting old. And I want to take care of my patients to the level that I expect other people would take care of my parents as well. I envision my patients as like my relatives. I don't want to treat a patient of mine um, in a way that I would not want my mom and dad to be treated. Mm -hmm. As for other specialties, I wanted to specialize in urology mm -hmm. originally because I had a mentor back in college. But then I, when I went to Munster, I again had a high proportion of people who are older adults and since they're they make up a big proportion of our clinic mm -hmm. i decided to specialize in that area and that's one of the reasons as well mm -hmm. um, as far as sports is concerned i had a sports internship in um, up mm -hmm. uh, chk as well as similar to your previous broadcast guest uh, miss uh Ange. Mm -hmm. i i entered in that clinic as well and it And I, I wanted actually to be a sports PT too. Uh -huh. But again, all of those experiences eventually lead you to find a path of specialty. Mm -hmm. So as a young therapist, I think it's important for therapists to explore other areas first. And mm -hmm. eventually you'll, you'll settle a path where you feel the best, mm -hmm. that you feel your heart is in there and that you feel that everything every time you treat a patient in that specialty area that you're having fun mm -hmm. that it's seamless mm -hmm. so i think that's 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 how i look into it and how i went into geriatrics i i, I agree we have this idea of 
us in the future what specialty or of or area we want to focus in when we we become a physical therapist but all our experiences can lead us to another path so yeah i do agree so now let's go into your uh to your your published study so yes. can you tell us more about it um uh how did you uh come up with a study what uh what's special about this patient um so i came up on the i came up upon the idea of the study when i had um when i was referred this patient so mm-hmm. This is one of the oldest patients. She was, she was the oldest patient I've I had. Mm-hmm. And her family was also open to us doing high-intensity resistance training for her. I just finished the CEEAA course back then. And I wanted to apply the concepts and see whether or not it's going to be apl- ap- applicable in um, this patient population. And back then, when you type in PubMed, centenarian and exercise training or assistant training, nothing came out. So I thought mm. this is going to be a good opportunity mm-hmm. to help trailblaze a trail um, and to establish data for future studies. Mm-hmm. So I was seeing her for, for in a home health setting and she was having difficulty standing up and moving around because she was getting weaker. Um, she, she had a history of fall and... Uh, she actually fell on her mobilized scooter and her family wanted her to become stronger so that they would be able to take care of her better. And also the patient wanted to be stronger so that she doesn't feel like a burden to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And I decided to establish a a resistance exercise training protocol with her. Um, And initially we started with um, 60% 1RM intensity in the first two weeks just to help her adapt to the new program. And that's, that's a recommended protocol in the, in studies as well, because older physically frail, older adults need, need that adjustment period compared Mm -hmm. to younger individuals. After which I increased intensity to 80% one RM from week three to eight. Um, So it's an eight week program for my patient. Uh, the, the program consisted of actually of three phases. So there's a warm-up phase, a resistance exercise phase, and a walking and stretching and cool down phase. So for the warm-up phase, it's, it, it consisted of seated, marching, knee extension, ankle pumps, and toe curls. Two sets of 10 reps. Mm-hmm. Then that's followed by a resistance exercise phase um, comprised of an open chain component and a closed chain component. The open chain component com- was comprised of long arc quads and leg curls, ankle plantar flexion and ankle dorsiflexion. Resistance was provided with elastic bands. Mm-hmm. So you might want to ask, how did you set the intensity? How did, right. you, how did you determine what's 60% 1RM and 80% 1RM? Yeah. So in the years past, the ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, and, the, and in the CEEAA courses had recommendations for repetitions. Mm-hmm. So if an individual is able to do two to three reps in good form, that's equivalent to 95% 1RM. Oh. So if an individual is able to complete four to five reps in good form, that's equivalent to 90% 1RM. Eight to nine reps corresponds to 80% 1RM. 12 to 13 reps corresponds to 70% 1RM. And 60% 1RM is equivalent to 16 to 20 reps. So that gives you a ballpark idea where, where to start and how to gauge your intervention. So for example, with a long arc quad, so you tie, of course, tie the elastic band and have the patient do... Um, good repetitions and see where fatigue comes in and when form det- where form deteriorates. Mm-hmm. So I made sure that the patient was able to complete at least 15 reps of, of the leg curls and long arc quads, uh, ankle plantar flexion, ankle dorsiflexion in the first two weeks that roughly corresponds to 60% 1RM. I also added an isometric called the pre-seconds. 
Then at the week three to eight, just like what I said earlier, it's it corresponds to an 80% 1RM. So for that, I had a patient do 10 reps uh, in good form before fatigue sets in. Mm-hmm. So the patient's able to complete 10 reps easily already or in good form, then I increase the tension in the band or I move up a band. So that's how you apply it in a clinical setting. Then the close chain component followed, which is the repetitive sit to stand. So mm-hmm. I had a patient do three sets of five reps. Mm-hmm. That's from weeks weight one to eight. After the so that that that's all there is in the resistance exercise phase. So it's not much. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a walking phase as well, just to have challenge or facilitate aerobic conditioning and to make sure that the patient still has practice with walking. I had her walk 30 feet, two rounds of 30 feet using a rolling walker. Then the stretching and cool down phases um, was um, seated, seated manual stretching of the calf and the hamstrings and seated marching, two sets mm-hmm. of 10 reps for a cool down. It's important in, if you're planning to apply high intensity resistance exercise program for older adults, it, and in particular for nonagenarians or your 90 and above patients and even centenarians, mm-hmm. vital signs is important. So I had to monitor vital signs in the warm-up phase and the resistance exercise phase and in the cool-down phases just to gauge the patient's response to it and ensure that the patient's not having decompensation and give you an idea how the cardiovascular and cardiorespiratory system is responding to it. Mm-hmm. And after eight weeks, we, we had a pre and post testing. So the outcome measures I used were gait speed. So gait speed actually increased by 20%. Um, the, I use short, the short physical performance battery score, which is comprised of, it's as three sub, sub, sub scales. So you have the patient stand up and sit down five times, the five times at the stand, it has a gait speed component. You have the patient walk three feet and you test, check for the time and it has a balance component to it. Mm-hmm. So for each component, it's, uh, they have four points in it. So a, no, a total score is 12. In studies, the, the clinical, a clinically significant difference is about one point. So for this patient, she actually had a one point difference. So it was significant. Mm-hmm. So she mm-hmm. went from a two to a three. <clears throat> as far as um, strength is concerned, I used the modified five times to the stand test for that because the patient cannot do the regular five times to the stand without the arms. So if that happens, you can have the patient use the arms. And just be cognizant that you had a patient use their arms when you're doing the sit to stand. Mm-hmm. Um, her pre or her pre pre intervention time was 39 seconds, and she um, actually gone down to 20, 20 seconds. So that's a 48.1 percent improvement, which is pretty big. Yeah. And as a as another measure, surrogate measure for strength, I use hand grip. Mm-hmm. So you might right. be wondering why hand grip. Hand grip is, um, is widely established outcome for strength in big studies and even RCTs. And studies have shown that declines in hand grip strength is associated with mortality and mobility disability. So the premise is if we can retard or halt the progression or even reduce the rapid decline in hand grip strength, then we're doing the patient a good thing. We're decreasing their mortality risk. We're decreasing their mobility and disability risk. In this patient, I was, ha- I was happy to report that she had an increase in 7% in hand grip strength on the right and 6.5% on the left. If you look at the numbers, that's not significant. It's just single digit increase. But if you think about it, for every year, um, for Patients age 90 and above, they reduce, they, their strength declines by 3% every year. So an increase in 3% in a short period of time is very consequential. Mm-hmm. As far as her walk time is concerned, um, her walk time decreased by 22.67 seconds, which is a 43.2%. That's good. 
So even if our interventions are mostly specific for the lower extremity and we use a closed chain and open chain component, we still saw an increase in hand grip strength. So there's a, there's a carryover to that. Um, and this, the program has shown that a, uh, an eight-week program for a patient, for this particular patient of mine, was able to improve her function, mm -hmm. improve her uh, mobility, and reduce her mortality risk. And she was able to celebrate her, her birthday. I actually saw her when she was 104. So midway uh -huh. in the program, she told me, Mark, I wanted to still celebrate my 105 birthday. I told her, let's give it a shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> so because she was getting really weak and her family's getting concerned that um, she might not last. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was happy. We was very happy. And uh -huh. her family actually wanted me to share the results of the poster presentation and the study with them once it was published. So I gave them a copy and oh, that's I was nice. very thankful of their um of their participation in the study and they actually recognized the importance of it they they told me that if it can help improve how you take care of your patients and other therapists take care of patients as old as their grandmother or great-grandmother mm -hmm. they'll be very um they'll be very happy and they'll be um very grateful for the mm -hmm. opportunity mm -hmm. i'm sure they appreciated that Yes. Yeah. So I, I was just wondering, how was there a carryover in hand grip strength? That, that's a very good question. Uh, the evidence is still unclear about that. Uh -huh. But early studies have shown that resistance training actually does not only impact local or intrinsic muscles, but also the neuromuscular activation patterns, both in the spinal cord level and in the central nervous system level. Mm -hmm. With aging, the corticospinal tract or the connection between the cerebral cortex or the brain and our muscles, uh, that the activity in that tract is decreased with aging. So mm -hmm. we think, or I hypothesize, that with resistance exercise, high-intensity resistance exercise actually has a positive influence in that and in the spinal cord level as well, which can help explain that carryover. Plus, mm. we're our understanding of muscle function is improving as we, mm -hmm. as we go forward in the past 10 years, there's an understanding that muscles are, is an endocrine organ itself. It releases myokines that Im Im influence muscle function or not only muscle function, but brain function as well. And skeletal muscles or skeletal muscles that are attached to the bone when skeletal muscles contract. And of course they produce a tense, tensile force on the bone itself, the bones actually release a, um, an enzyme known as osteocalcin, which impacts other organs in the body as well. So it uh -huh. impacts energy metabolism, it impacts liver function, it impacts glucose uptake, and it impacts, it has a positive influence in brain function as well. Mm -hmm. And overall, um, resist high intensity resistance exercise program, it, has a influence as well in the mitochondrial function of our, of our uh, muscles, mm -hmm. not only in the extremities that are exercised, but also in general. So they did a study wherein they, they did high-intensity resistance exercises in the lower extremity. This is in uh, an older adult, 60 and say 80 years old, and they even found that the um, mitochondrial function in the dorsal interosse muscle, the dorsal interosseous muscles of the hand actually improved as well. So yeah. that's, that, yeah. that's, that's an early link. But again, it's still in the preliminary stages. So we don't know if it carries over it all population. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good uh, way to see it uh, that even if you're exercising one part of the body, it carries the effect carries over to the rest of the parts. So uh, your patient is when you saw her, when is she's 104. So how were how were you able to convince her to participate in an, a high intensity program? Because usually uh, older adults would say like, oh, "I'm already old. Uh, I I just want to rest. I don't want to get tired." So how, how did you approach that? 
Mm. That's a very good question. That's where the art of physical therapy comes in. Mm-hmm. You have to know your patient. This is actually a previous patient of mine. She was admitted in a hospital before. And because she's had a positive relationship with me, uh-huh. uh, I was able to convince her of the positive benefits of the exercise. Plus, she wanted to be able to move. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, my advice for a physical therapist who, wanted, who want to are thinking of establishing a high intensity resistance exercise program on patients who are doubtful or patients who are fearful Mm -hmm. is to allay their concerns by explaining explaining it you have to explain to the patient what it does and very important link it to their goals link it to Mm -hmm. their functional goals you just can't tell the patient that you're doing high intensity resistance exercise for the sake of doing it Mm -hmm. if a patient wants to be able to play with their grandchildren they wanted to be able to walk and do their gardening tasks, explain to them how the training would help them do it again. And that would help the buy-in process of it. Mm-hmm. Also explain to them that it's relatively safe. And beforehand, explain to them that they might feel soreness and that soreness, post-exercise soreness is expected. Mm-hmm. And it's normal. It's not it does not mean that there's damage. It does not mean that they're regressing. It's just part of the training itself. Mm-hmm. If you check the guidelines, the guidelines for older adults who engage in resistance exercise program is twice a week only, or they set it at twice a week to allow for recovery in between. Mm-hmm. You explain to the patients, uh, okay, so we're going to do this um, program and we're going to exercise hard but it's going to be good for you and it's going to enable you to do the things you want to do. Mm-hmm. However, after exercise, you may feel sore and you may feel sore for one to two days. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. It's going to go away afterwards. And it just that it just means that we're using your muscles more than they're used to. Mm-hmm. But after they get over that hump, they'll be, they'll get stronger and you'll feel less sore moving forward. If you feel sore, just let me know. And, we can talk about it. So that's how you reduce the stress level of it mm-hmm. and, uh, and facilitate buy-in. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, the, did you ask your, that, that patient to do the exercises with their family or you just did the, the training with you? They just did the training with me. Oh, gotcha. And how often a week did they do that? Twice a week. Twice a week. Hmm. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. And what, what's good about high-intensity resistance program is it saves you time. It's, mm-hmm. it's not time-intensive, actually, mm-hmm. because um, you're doing less reps mm-hmm. and you don't have to do it much. Mm-hmm. Right. So for a, for a busy clinician, it actually fits in. It, it would actually fit in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So you're, when you're, if you're going to start a high-intensity training with an older adult, does that adult have to have a certain level of cog- cognition or yeah, there's a certain level of cognitive uh, function involved because they mm. have to understand uh, you have to explain to the patient how to do the exercises and you have to explain to them to mm. be slow with how when they move the extremities or not mm-hmm. however it's not an excuse not to engage in a modified form of it Mm-hmm. For very frail individuals who's just tired sitting on the side of the bed, just getting in and out of the bed could be a resistance exercise program already if a, a patient could only do it for that many. Mm-hmm. Or if a, a patient can only stand up and cannot walk yet, you can just do sit to stand or you can just do open chain training. Mm-hmm. If the patient is um, impaired cognitively, that's when you have to be creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably sit to stands would be good. Uh, probably marching in place would be okay. Um, it doesn't have to be, you have to be flexible in those kinds of situations and think about your therapeutic goals. Mm-hmm. But in a strict sense and, and how they applied it in clinical trials, of course, they excluded patients who, are, who have cognitive um, um, issues. Mm-hmm. Just for safety purposes, of course, in clinical trials. All right, all right. Because um, we've been talking like high intensity, high intensity. Uh, yes. A lot of people might or has the, an idea that like high intensity usually just means um, 
higher repetition or higher resistance load or involves a lot of jumping or or high impact and and you mentioned earlier that there's uh the guideline there is a guideline that says that this number of repetition equates to uh this percentage of one rm yes so um for for when you say high intensity what percentage of one rm is high intensity that's good a good question 80 percent and above is high intensity Uh, okay, and you should start them advice uh, as an advice sixty percent, and you go uh, gradually going up. Yes, in general. However, in certain patients with certain clinical conditions, like you're physically frail, mm-hmm. or patients with after myocardial infarction three to six weeks after M- an MI, mm-hmm. for patients with progressive neurological disease, for patients mm-hmm. with RA. And for patients with acute musculoskeletal conditions, you could start as low as 30% 1RM. Gotcha. So what's the ideal candidate for to start an, a, a high-intensity uh, high intensity training for an older adult? Everyone's eligible for it. Mm-hmm. As long as they, you just follow the um, safety uh, considerations. Yes, and with a caveat, they have to be physiologically stable. When they say physiologically stable, you also you still have to check for their lab, lab values. Mm-hmm. Make sure that, of course, their hemoglobin and hematocrit levels are not too low. Mm-hmm. And again, that's related to your red blood cell capacity to mm-hmm. transport oxygen to the muscles, which is just, which just makes sense. Mm-hmm. And make sure the patient doesn't have an active infection. So the usual ACSM guidelines of contraindications for exercise applies in this population of, of, of what patient populations may not be eligible for high intensity or for resistance exercise program. But if they clear those hurdles, mm-hmm. their lab values are okay. They don't have the contraindications and you made a clinical determination that this uh, patient can tolerate and can understand the, the program, then uh, you're, you're, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. A precaution would be for patients with osteoarthritis. Some clinicians would say, oh, what about my patient who have a knee OA or a hip OA? They, the patient has knee pain, the patient has hip pain. Of course, they can't do a high-intensity resistance program because of pain. Mm-hmm. Right. We have to remember, though, that pain is part of a vicious cycle of muscle weakness. So if, when a patient has pain, they won't move. And when they won't move, they're immobile. And that just prolongs the mobility disabilities cycle. So mm-hmm. we need to put a stop to that. Of course, when pain is a predominant complaint of the patients and the patient's highly irritable, I mean the tissue itself, you have to calm those down using manual therapy, using the tools in our disposal, manual therapy, electrotherapeutic modalities, your cry modalities, or your heating modalities before, after, or a few weeks before you engage in a program just to reduce the Uh, irritability level and make the patient more, um, how would they say it, um, apt, more mm-hmm. apt or more encouraged to do high intensity or resistance exercise program. Mm-hmm. In fact, with NEOA, in recent um, clinical trials, they've found that if you do manual therapy first, manual therapy and resistance exercise program, it has a positive impact in pain and function. So what you do is um, you, you do your mobilizations first. You reduce the pain by distraction or with joint mobs before you do your exercises, and that would help the patient respond better with it. Mm, gotcha. So if uh, as a physical therapist and they want to start uh, their patients with a high-intensity resistance program, what are the things they have to assess first, measure what are the things that they have to consider before putting a patient in, in a high-intensity program? That's, that's a good question again. So you start first with your subjective examination. You ask the patient their goals. Once mm-hmm. you know their goals, then you have an indication of what you can use to facilitate buy-in for the, for the patient. And it enables you to determine what muscle groups you need to target to help the patient move towards that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have to consider the, the patient resources, the family system, and uh, their, their level of support 
because that also would help you um, with establishing a program for the patient. So if the patient is taking care of, of uh, a family member or they have limited time, then you have to tweak your program based on that. Mm-hmm. If the patient has some exercise equipment at home, be sure to use it. If the patient doesn't have an exercise equipment at home based on your interview, then you find ways on be, to be creative with that. You can either provide a patient with elastic bands to take home, or you can uh, do your closed chain exercises. With your objective assessment, the first, uh, the first thing you have to measure, of course, is strength. You have to measure strength. And there's, there's a lot of important outcome, uh, important outcome measures out there that have proven reliable to, to measure or to assess strength. The, you have your hand grip strength. Uh, for muscle strength, you can use your typical MMT uh, to improve reliability and build validity of, of the manual muscle testing. You can use your dynamometers, but those are expensive. I don't have dynamometers in my setting, so... I can't speak on that, but if you want to be objective about it, you can use dynamometer for, for, to give you an exact number. Mm-hmm. Um, for a more objective um, functional testing of strength for the lower extremity, you can use your five times at the stand test. Have the patient stand up and sit down from a chair without using their hands. If they can't do um, uh, a sit to stand without upper extremity assist, that means they are weak then you can have the patient use their arms to have them do it. But again, that's a modified version already and just make sure to take note of that. Another variation of the sit-to-stand test is the 30-second sit-to-stand test time. Uh, so you have the patient do as many sit-to-stands as they can in 30 seconds. Again, you can have the patient use their, do the test first without using their arms. If they cannot use their arms, then you can have the patient use their arms to assist with the initiation phase of the, of the sit to stand. And that gives you um, a number of repetitions at which a patient can do it. So of course your goal moving forward is for the patient to do the sit to stands without using their arms. That, that represents a significant improvement already. Um, as far as mobility is concerned, you, of course you have to measure gait speed, which has been established as the sixth vital sign. Right. You, have, you can use, uh, you can determine gait speed using uh, either a 10 meter walk test. If you use a short physical performance battery, you already have a gait speed component there using the three meter walk test time. So just make sure you have gait speed there because power, muscle strength, and gait speed are correlated with one another. And as patients age and as um, Weakness sets in, gait speed also decreases. And gait speed is also a proxy measure of mobility, disability, and mortality risk. So it's an important thing to measure. Mm-hmm. Another measure is a tug test. So you can use a tug test, a time up and go test to determine fall risk and to determine functional mobility as well. In my setting, I use I also use, I often use the short physical performance battery because it's concise. It measures strength by the five times at the stand. It measures gait speed with a three-meter walk test time. And it measures balance as well. So the balance component is composed of um, you have the patient stand with their feet together um, and time it for 10 seconds. If the patient can stand for 10 seconds, that's one point. Then you move on to the next um, phase, which is you have the patient stand semi-tandem. We're in mm-hmm. one... Um, one up, one lower, one foot is ahead of the one one foot, but they're side to side with each other. Mm-hmm. And then once a patient can score 10, 10, 10 seconds, then that's the one point, and you proceed with full tandem. So it already gives you a, a picture of the patient's physical function in that one test only. So it's mm-hmm. very, it's le- it's not time intensive. It gives you a lot of bang for your buck, and it doesn't cost much. You just need mm-hmm. a timer and you need a chair. And it mm-hmm. does. It, you don't have. You don't need much space. And mm-hmm. of course, vital signs. You have to measure vital signs before, during, and after an exercise session to gauge again the physiological response of the patient. Just like what I said a while ago, you check for the systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure changes, and that's why it's important. You also check for heart rate. Check for um, again with a caveat again that heart rate changes in the elderly may be blunted. 
So with, with that, you use RPE, ratings of perceived exertion in your evaluation right. to check for intensity. So that's a proxy measure of intensity. And if patients who have chronic medical conditions, they're taking hypertensive medications and such, that's a better way to assess it. Mm-hmm. And lastly, you check for oxygen saturation if you have access to it. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I, I think that that's, that's one of the, those, those are the key measures I'm going to look into prior mm-hmm. to establishing a high intensity resistance program for my patient and for any patient mm-hmm. as well. That's nice. Uh, thinking about the, the frequency of the training twice a week, it, it's mm-hmm. very doable and, and patients would really appreciate that not doing any exercises on their own. <laughs> I think they, they would be happy to hear that. Um, and also the, when you were talking about the exercises, it wasn't that complicated for them. Nope. And uh, yeah, I think they would appreciate that for someone who has like um, fall risk or, or balance issues. Do you think uh, a high intensity resistance exercise program could also benefit them? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, with the proxy measures I use in this particular patient, it, mm-hmm. it gives me an idea that I have influencer fall risk. Mm-hmm. Balance, of course, balance is multifactorial. Right. However, one factor of balance is um, the neuromusculoskeletal function, which mm-hmm. high-intensity resistance exercise or progressive resistance exercise has a positive influence to it. Mm-hmm. In addition, patients fall at home because they trip. They either trip or they cannot react fast when they, uh, when they encounter a perturbation. So they need to step fast, right? right. To regain their balance. And that is, that is correlated with power. Muscle power declines faster than muscle strength. Mm-hmm. Muscle power, as we know from physics, is strength produced in a unit of time. So you can influence muscle power by increasing strength. Um, You can also train for power specifically, which is beyond the scope of this uh, podcast right now. But in a gist, you you increase power by having the patient do movements faster. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you can actually incorporate it in a resistance exercise program. Mm-hmm. You just have to reduce the intensity and have the patient do tasks faster. Mm-hmm. So for example, sit to stand. With a traditional high-intensity resistance exercise program, you have the patient stand up slow and go down slow. Mm-hmm. Because you're training for the concentric and eccentric phases of it. For To improve muscle power, you have to ask the patient, stand up as fast as you can. Okay. However, at a... Just make sure that you set the height of the seat or the plinth that is still challenging for the patient. One way to influence power as well is when the patient's walking. So if the patient's walking, you ask the patient to walk fast. So they have to recruit muscle motor units faster or more motor units. If they're doing tippy toes, have mm-hmm. them do it faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in include a time component to it. Mm-hmm. Again, just be sure that you've trained muscle strength first. The patient has a sufficient level of muscle strength before you train for power. Ah, that's good. Set the base first for strength. Then you can go on to progress it to power. Yes. So aside, so you can in, increase or adjust the intensity of an exercise, not just by repetition, not just by loading, but also um, by how the patient makes or, or does the, the, the action in, in speed, yes. speed wise. Gotcha. All right. So um, I've, yeah, there's a lot of like, got a lot of good points just coming from this discussion. And, and, and thank you for that. Um, what's your thoughts on um, uh, physical therapists, like underloading our older adult patients in terms of resistance uh, programs we've I think we've been stuck with like a lot with with 10 repetitions like three sets how can we move away from that what should we change in our mindset 
it's a disservice to our patients and mm-hmm. it's a breach of their trust to under those patients. Mm-hmm. They, when they see us, they expect the they're going to get the bang for their, bang for their buck and Medicare expects their bang for their back, buck. Our third-party payers expect that the patients are getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it's, it's, it's a wasteful, it's a waste of resource. Mm-hmm. So it, we need to have this shift in our mindset that older adults can and are safe to engage in resistance exercise program. Mm-hmm. The root of that, I think, is ageism. Mm-hmm. That in our belief that older adults are somewhat limited, that they're mm-hmm. weak, mm-hmm. we just need to identify that bias. Mm-hmm. We have to identify it first and address it by acknowledging that our patients can get stronger, mm-hmm. that they we can get them stronger, and we have tools at our disposal, and it's safe to challenge them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, patients, when they get challenged, they get more motivated. Mm-hmm. because they, they're not stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Again, that's where the science and the art of physical therapy comes in. We know the science. Mm-hmm. The science is there. We know that it works. The art is where the, the human component of it and the physical therapy side comes into play. And to overcome that, just like what I said, we need to over, identify our bias against older adults, which there is. Mm-hmm. I had a bias. Everyone has a bias. Mm-hmm. You just need to acknowledge it and identify it. And once you identify it, you re-rectify it. Mm-hmm. How do you rectify it? You learn more about it. Right. You, once you learn more about it, your eyes open. And when you see things improve, you share it. Mm-hmm. You share it with other people. And I'm thankful for this opportunity, Johan, because it, it, I hope it helps open the minds and hearts of our physical therapy colleagues in embracing high-intensity resistance exercise or resistance exercise program for their older adults because we're doing them a disservice, really. Right. Yeah, that's why I also wanted to have you in the show so that you can share your, your experience with uh, treating older adults with, with high-intensity um, program resistance program and uh with oh as well as uh, as an exposure i i i was into that camp before i i did treat patients at three sets of 10 Uh to to pound ankle weights Uh but i i I identified that it's not right Mm -hmm. so i made a change Mm -hmm. and that change has benefited my not only me but my patients Mm -hmm. and the community in general Mm -hmm. so all of us have uh, have this in us it yeah. just we just need to change it and be open with it and not be afraid to tackle it yeah we've all been there even me when i was starting it would be it, it's i mean it's convenient to just put there all right 20 reps three sets with this amount of ankle widths because that's convenient and and we we forget that especially in home health they need to be at their best especially if they're leaving by themselves they have to be functional they have to be safe they have to be able to do their daily activities uh by themselves without the fear of like falling or anything so having that um uh that that mindset of of challenging your your patients more with what you have learned now is going to be more beneficial for them yes mm-hmm. and and as we as you've talked about earlier this is not going to be a problem because with compliance if you're just seeing your patients in at their home twice a week they they would look forward to seeing you because <laughs> they're not going to do like i didn't do your my exercises i'm going to be honest so that you that's usual that's the usual thing of like mm-hmm. a patients i didn't do my exercises i got bored so they're just going to wait for you but with this i mean it, it's easy i mean fairly easy for us to do as well yes and when they look forward into it it's, it's easier down the road to give them a home exercise program mm-hmm. 
and with just uh based on your uh like case study it, you did just you just did eight weeks yes. so that's also efficient they don't have to like oh we have to do this for 12 weeks oh we have to do it for one year so with that you can like tailor it to your patient and you could still get some results there yes mm-hmm. they would appreciate that mm-hmm. oh. great great all right so again i i want to thank you for for being here and sharing what you've learned about um challenging our our older adult population more um I'm sure this would uh, inspire a lot of people to learn more about how can they be creative in their exercises with handling older adults, especially with like uh, nanogenarians and, and centenarians. We're starting to see more of that now. Mm-hmm. When I was in, in home health, I would have like this 90, 90s club patients <laughs> when I would see at least two patients uh, a week or 90 and above and it was like wow you're and they're very functional they're independent mm-hmm. in their homes and it just takes one accident to uh to get them into physical therapy and that would cascade yeah um so we have to really like get them back to their feet yes so, um before i let you go i just have my last three bites my last three questions sure uh, for uh this show so my first question um is if your life is a dish, uh, what dish would it be and why? Oh, that's a very good question. I think it'll, it'll be a, like a... Oh, <laughs> I think it'll be a sinigang because sinigang, sinigang. is my uh, favorite. And um, the, the various components of it um, add up to a very interesting mix. So you have mm-hmm. the salty, soury soup mixture plus the texture of the meat and the vegetable itself it's kind of mishmash of everything uh-huh. and my and it kind of reflects my life right now i'm mm-hmm. uh of course I, I i'm in love with physical therapy out of physical therapy when i'm not in doing uh, or seeing patients i try to explore other areas um uh running is one of them being in the outdoors that's one of my those are two of my passions uh i ride mountain bikes i i am into sometimes photography i photograph the milky way the stars and such in my free time um i'm into finance and a lot of other subject areas and it it adds it adds color and Mm -hmm. it, it adds perspective so your your perspective in a lot of areas is widened and mm. it helps you appreciate things better it helps you appreciate life life better too right right and, and you're not stuck in in just one topic i mean yes. in, in one area yes you get to, to appreciate everything around you yeah nice all right second question is um what's your recipe for success mm. i think being a lifelong learner mm-hmm. i i never stop learning mm-hmm. i set a goal i set a yearly goal that i have to do something that would advance my career every year, be it like a course, be it like a um, CEU, mm-hmm. be it that attending a conference. I need at least one, not achievement, one milestone a year in terms of professional career mm-hmm. so that I can be held accountable. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm also self-critical. I, I think I'm too hard on myself. I critique myself every time I see a patient. When I go home, when I'm riding in the car, I think of my patients. I think of the techniques I've done. How could I do it better? What, mm. what, factors, what factors have affected it? And what if I'm wrong? How can I, what modifications can I do so that I can treat my patients more efficiently? So you have to keep asking those questions every day mm-hmm. it's not it won't take a it doesn't take much so when you're doing documentation when you're writing a note you ask oh i've i've, I've been doing this intervention mm-hmm. for the past sessions and this is my outcomes this patient's not improving mm-hmm. so something's not working i need to change something and or if the patient's improving oh this patient's improving with this intervention what in that intervention is causing that 
So those kinds of questions, those reflecting questions can help advance your practice. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the hallmarks of, 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 of development from a novice physical therapist to a expert physical therapist is reflection in action. Reflection is, in is action. That, yes. All right. I'll, I'll take note of that. That's, that's good. Because a lot of us were just, I mean, I've been one of those who just does a lot of things with, or does things with patient and does not, or reflects only when we're supposed to during assessment time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. Reflection, reflection, what's that? Reflection in action. Reflection in action. All right. Good. All right. And, and my last question is, um, what are the three ingredients essential in your life that, that make up who you are? It can be a belief, a virtue, a value that you think is important on your, in your life that you carry um, every day. So what makes up Mark Basco? I think I have a belief that human nature exists in a grayscale. You cannot pigeonhole people, black and white, red or blue, and because they have a multitude of life experiences behind them. And you have to understand the motivations of a person, a person and their history, especially of our patients when they come in for therapy. It's basically putting yourself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. You have to understand them for you to treat them better. Mm-hmm. And for you not to judge them. Mm-hmm. And that also helps you acknowledge your bias against people. And it helps you become a better person. Mm-hmm. The second is humility. Mm-hmm. You, I, even with all the certifications of training and the advanced degrees that I've had over the past years, I'm never satisfied with what I've learned. I always think and feel and I believe that there's more to learn out there. Mm -hmm. Once you think or believe that you know everything is the time that you stop learning and the time that you get stagnant. Mm -hmm. Once Once you are at that point, that means you have to change something mm-hmm. you have to assess where you're at where you are uh, it also helps keep you honest mm-hmm. that there's always a piece of information that you don't know that can impact your treatment better so for mm-hmm. example with resistance exercise program the topic we talked about doing it slowly produces better benefits for a patient than doing it faster that very small detail impacts the outcome of your intervention. And you have to do it slowly to recruit more motor units, to recruit more motor fibers. And if you do it fast, you increase the chance of injuring the patient and the patient is doing momentum for the exercises. So if I, haven't had, if I hadn't learned about that small detail, the treatment may be optimal, substandard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just being honest with yourself and just being humble and acknowledging your limitations in terms of your knowledge and skill set as a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't know something, I don't know it. And I admit it. I'll admit mm-hmm. it that I don't know. Right. If my patient asks me a question, I don't know. Maybe I can refer you to another physical therapist who knows better than me on this particular topic. Don't be afraid to say I don't know or admit mm-hmm. to yourself that you don't know something. Mm-hmm. And the third one is um, hard work. Mm-hmm. I believe in hard work. It's like an iceberg. When I say it, it's like an iceberg. The, once you see a tip of an iceberg, you don't see that three-fourths or a majority of it is beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. So for every successful person out there, there's tons of hard work behind it. And if one, if I want to be successful, I want to excel at my field. So I have to put in the hard work for it. It's lots of sleepless nights, lots of reading, lots of sacrifices, lots of trade-offs financially, time, 
personal life and such to reach your goal. But if you have the goal in mind and you're willing to put the hard work in, you'll get there. If you may not get there on time, but you'll get there. Um, so those are the three things that, that I truly believe in. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I love the first one. You know, the universe exists in, in grayscale. Nothing like it's not black, always black and white. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And you say humility and hard work. Excellent, excellent answer. I like that. It's the best answer I've heard. <laughs> so um, we've discussed a lot uh, about um, high intensity resistance training, and I'm sure the audience would learn a lot from this, from the the uh, you know measuring their intensity to how, what to assess, what to look for, and starting a a program for their their patients. And we've, yeah, we've tackled a lot, but um, as a takeaway, and for our audience, how, um, what are the, what is one thing that you want the audience to remember from our um, conversation today? Physical therapy, in, in particular resistance exercise program is a great tool to help our patients. Medical advances has helped add years to our patients' lives. They're living longer. Mm-hmm. However, they, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're living their lives to the fullest. Physical therapy can add lives to those years. Mm-hmm. So it's about adding life to the years of our patients. All right. Great, great. Perfect. So um, if, if anyone is uh, interested in your work and wanted to reach you, where can they... Uh, contact you forever oh yeah they can send me an email at mbasco m-b-a-s-c-o at munsterhospital.com so m-u-e-n-s-t-e-r hospital.com if they have any inquiries about the study or if they have any questions in general about geriatric physical therapy right i might i'll make sure to put that in uh the uh show notes all right thank you sir all right thank you very much for being here i'm glad that you were able to share what you've Uh, you to know about geriatric and resistance training. You're welcome, Johan. It was a pleasure talking to you as well. Right, thanks. And there you have it again, PT Meal Physical Therapy Podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, follow us, subscribe uh, to our social media accounts at PT Meal Podcast in Facebook and Instagram. Uh, subscribe to YouTube. Nandun yung ibang episodes, full episodes. Nandun din yung mga ibang um, snippets of the shows. Um, if you want to send me an email, you can also do so. Send me my email address is at ptmilpodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, you can send me questions, inquiries, uh, suggestions, comments. I would love to hear comments. And uh, if you have anyone in mind that wants to guest a podcast, want to share something, who you think would be, uh, you know, uh, as a, a valuable and remarkable experience that they want to share to the whole community of physical therapists do so please please lang. send me your name to me and I'll contact them okay until next week see you again bye bye just a reminder folks the podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only the show strives to keep all information true and correct but humans sometimes make mistakes factual errors may be present so we encourage the listeners to do their own research on the featured topics as well now let's go back to the show